December 27th, 2021. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week should be for the Refuah of Avraham ben Salcha Aliza. We're on the Sanhedrin on Daf Memhe Amud Aleph at the Mishnah. The Mishnah is maybe almost 20, 20 lines from the bottom of the page. Mishnah continues to describe how Sekila was to be done, how it was executed. Beta Sekila Hayagova Shete Komot. Uh, the way that the Beta Sekila, the area, again, if you recall, the Sekila was not done in the area of the Beit Din, it was done outside of that camp, outside of the city. And as a result, it describes now, the Mishnah describes for us what the Beta Sekila actually looked like. It was Gova, the height, was Shete Komot. Now, it never exactly describes for us what it means two stories. The general understanding is that a story is the height of an average person. So it was the size or it was the height of two times the average person. I don't know, about, I think if I remember, three amot each time. So you're dealing with six amot, six times one and a half is nine. So almost nine feet up. Ehad min ha'idim dohafo al-motnav. Uh, the way it would work is that the individual who was being executed, who was being uh, killed with sikila, was tied up. Parambam fills in those details. And then one of the witnesses touches him, excuse me, pushes him, al-motnav, from the back at his loin area, around his waist. And so you're pushing him face forward so that he hits his heart and head down to the ground directly. In such a circumstance, as says the Mishnah, what if when he falls down, he then turns around? So as a result, his, he, he now is, uh, is, is, is facing down with his face and heart. We don't want it to be in such a fashion. He's still alive. He was pushed off, but he turned around so that his back is facing up and his heart and face are down. You should turn him around and have him... Uh, on his back uh, to the ground and heart facing up. Vim bet metba, and if by throwing him, by pushing him off, he died. Yaza, if you recall, we saw that already uh, mentioned somewhat, uh, alluded to in the Gemara, that if the person were to die even before throwing a stone at him, Yasa, you don't need to throw a stone in order to kill him with the stone. If he was killed at the beta sikila through being pushed off, chalas yotze. Vim lav, what if he didn't die? The people have an obligation to put to death the person who sinned. And as a result, it's our responsibility. The Torah states it like that. You don't need to. That was the beginning of Regima. The truth is, the beginning of Regima is pushing him off. We're going to see a derasha in the Gemara along those lines, which means to say that is unnecessary, assuming that you started the process, assuming that you pushed him off in the initial stage. Okay, what happens furthermore? What if he didn't die? If you recall, that was one witness who pushed him off. You have, of course, two witnesses. So the second witness takes, it says, the stone. We'll understand in the Gemara, there was a specific stone designated in the Beta Sekila to be thrown onto this person, a large one. Now it sounds like he kind of carefully and sensitively puts it on his heart. That's not what we mean. We mean he throws it onto his heart. Imet ba, if, he, uh, if the person is to be executed, the nidon actually dies from the first stone, which is thrown at him from the aid, from the witness. Yasa, the witness, Am Yisrael, the Yosei, the Chobavim Lav, 
what if he didn't die? Then the next stage, after being thrown off, after the initial stone from the second witness, but he's still not dead, which means his stoning, his, his demise, will be after all the pasuk alludes to this process. The hand of the witnesses should be first. They have the first stake in terms of his execution, in order to put him to death. The Pasuk says, and the nation have the aharona. In other words, to put it more specific based on our context, the Aidim begin with the push and the first throw. If they didn't finish, if the person's still alive, Yad Kol Ha'am, it's the responsibility of the entire nation. In other words, anyone who's present. Yes, Jeffrey. The actual witness who was involved in this case testifying against him is the one who's responsible for putting him to death as well. You cannot execute him if you would not come. We'll see in the Gemara to the extent that Shemuel will make the following bold statement. Correct. Shemuel will make the following bold statement in the Gemara to the to this extent, is as if your hand was cut off, we'll see it in just a few moments, was cut off after testifying, you no longer have a yad, reading the pasuk very literally, then you can't execute this person through sekilah. That makes a lot of sense, just in terms of the psychological perspective. If you are going to testify about this person, we better be certain that you mean what you're going to say, because we're going to have you involved directly in the execution. Don't think you could say some words and then we'll handle him. We want you actually involved. Says the Gemara Tana, a Beraita, fills in some of the details of the Mishnah. If you recall, the Mishnah told us that there were two komot, there were two stories in this, uh, two levels in this Beta Sekila. Continues the Beraita and it says, add to it the height of the person. That's where we got to it, right? That the two stories were the height of the person because we're saying together it's three stories. It means the third story is commensurate, is the same size as the first two. It means that there's, so you have three stories and you're pushing him off of that. Says the Gemara, not that the building is three stories, but that his head is raised three stories off the ground. Says the Gemara commenting on the Mishnah and the Beraita, which got appended to the Mishnah, and that is, do you really need Ba'inan, Ba'i means Sarikh, Ba'inan, Anan in Aramaic means us. Do we need Kule all high this? Do we really need all this? In other words, was this all, all absolutely necessary? Ultimately speaking, we're going to be putting him to death. Did you really need a high place to put him to death? You could push him from a lower platform and still kill him through the throwing, really, through the pushing. How so? Urminhu. Didn't we learn in Masechet Bava Kama, Mabor Shehu Hamit the context there, Masechet Bavakama, is dealing with the first Mishnah, Masechet Bavakama, mentions the four primary ways of being mazik, shor, bor, mav'eh, and hev'eh. Now, uh, not getting into details of any other than bor. Bor means, quite literally, there's a pit. You own a pit outside, 
whether it's in a public or private domain, but you have a pit outside and there's damage which is incurred for our purposes at the moment to someone else's property. So I'm driving my car and I hit a pothole in front of your home, I don't know, in your driveway, okay, whatever the circumstances. Over here we're dealing with an animal falls into the bore and becomes damaged as a result, but more than damaged, dies as a result of falling in. Now what's the minimum size of that that pothole, that pit, to determine that it's your fault? Not that it was just a crack in the ground, but it determines that it's your fault. The halacha is a masech bavakama, ten tefachim. A tefach is the size of a fist. That's a lot smaller than when we're talking about three komot, three times the size of an average person, nine feet, or a little bit less than nine feet. If we're dealing with such a circumstance, it's gotta be more than that. No, 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 it's gotta, whatever. Anyway, so, so that, that being the case, says the Gemara, wait a second, is it ten tefachim? Or is it three stories? You're telling me the purpose, it appears over here, is that we push you off and you have the potential of dying through being thrown off. Did we need it to be that high? The Mishnah, excuse me, the Halachayas from Masechet Bava Kama, that ten tefachim is sufficient, sufficient kedei lahamit. Amar av Nachman, Amar av Baba Rabua, Amar Kera ve'ahavta l're'acha kamocha. Beror lo mitayafa. The statement is, Adirasha, we learned earlier, we'll focus on it a bit more now. Yes, Jared? What do you mean? What are you trying to do to the guy? You have an eight foot pit or a 12 foot height. Yes. The, the Hava Amina went like this. All you need is a potential death pit. Chalas. Who said we need it to be surely? We need potential. If he's a, for example, if he's a weak guy, if he's a small, skinny guy, the ten tefahim one has the potential to kill him. The assumption is as the potential, technically speaking, the right circumstances to kill anyone. The halacha, you're right, the, the maskana is a lot more simple than the hava amina is, well, this pit isn't just supposed to have the potential to kill. You're hoping that it actually does kill. Why so? What do you mean? I sing songs about that with my children. Love one as they love yourself as the other, or love the other as yourself. You're talking about after death? That's right. The derasha, the primary derasha here in our Gemara, it's a point that Tosafot makes, is about after death. What do I mean by after death before I explain how we got to this? The way in which you're determining the death of this person should be beror, you should separate, you should like borer on Shabbat, zeborer was the name of the Perik as well, Masechet Sanhedrin. You should set aside a death which is yafa, which is appropriate for him, which is the most painless and the quickest and swiftest. As a result, it's true, I could have done it with ten tefahim, the hidush over here of the Mishnah and the Beraita together is, do it two plus one stories, you'll have a quicker death. Before I deal with the dirasha per se, let me just finish the Gemara, says the Gemara make it much higher then. Uh, that's not, I mean, you know, some people will die. They're really, really high up. Let's make it even higher. Tefe means more. You should raise it up even more. Build the Bet Sekila, like the Empire State Building. Throw the guy off and chalas, it's finished. You won't have to throw anything. Answers the Gemara. There's a fine line, as we've mentioned. Mishum de minvul. Minvul, Minuval. Minuval means it's disgusting. It's terrible to see a person 
and falling from such a height, he's going to be dead before he's even hitting the ground. Who knows how his body is going to be contorted and twisted through the air. You're going to be watching him. We don't want it to be that bad. We don't want it to be that uh, gory and gruesome in terms of his death. We want something in the middle. On the one hand, it'll be swift. On the other hand, it's not menuval. But what's with this terashah? Not only that, the Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin, it's, a, it's somewhat of a well-known Gemara. The very first daf of the second parak on daf Mem Aleph Amud Aleph says, that the rabbis, contrary-ish to the Mishnah over there, stated that you shouldn't send a messenger in order to be Mekadesh, a woman, for you. In other words, if you haven't seen the woman, you just heard great things about her, and you want to get engaged to her, don't send a messenger to hand her the money, the, whatever, however you're going to, the star, in which you're going to be Mekadesh. Why not? You should love another person like yourself. And says the Gemara. Maybe she will be disgusting to you. Maybe she's not good looking enough for you. Maybe something about her doesn't find pleasure in your eyes. And as a result, don't send the messenger. It's going to lead you to wrongful feelings and thoughts about another person. She's still alive. We're not talking about killing her, are we? And as a result, it appears as if I don't know, Yaakov Shweki has it right if he sings songs about it. It's, it's about during lifetime as well. The Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Gemara over there talks about if you are Madir Hana'a from another person, I say to one of you or to all of you, you know Hana'a from me, no benefit. You can't get any benefit. Now, when you make a Nedin, and you're osir something upon another person, it's pretty hard to then nullify it. What you can do is hatara, but in order to do hatara, you need to have what's called a petah or a harata. Now, petah means we have a way of opening up your mind to something you didn't realize beforehand. What we say to you in such a circumstance, if we are trying to get you out of this, is we say to you, didn't you realize the Torah says, didn't you know that the Torah says you should love another like you love yourself? And as a result, if you're not allowing them to benefit, from you, you're clearly not loving them like yourself. Well, what are you talking about? That pasuk is talking about after death. What seems clear is, although our Gemara is very steadfast and clear that this derasha is after death or for death, we apply it, it's an amazing thing, as well to life. Generally speaking, it's only after death. Why should I only assume, why is the Gemara's general assumption that it's after death? Tosafot, the third one from the top, suggests one of two explanations. The first explanation is, the Gemara in Masechet Bava Metziah, they cite it from Bava Kama as well, is Doresh V'chaya Chicha'imach. The Pasuk says that you should live together with your fellow other. And Rabbi Akiva's halacha that he learns from that is Hayecha Kodmin, which means to say, if in the classic situation, I'm out in the desert together with one of you, together with my friend, and I have one jug of water. If I were to drink it, I'll live. If we were to split it, neither one of us will live. What are you supposed to do in such a situation? You have the opinion of Ben Petora, you split it. like him. You drink it. You drink it. You're killing the other person. You're killing him. The Pasuk says that your friend's supposed to live with you, not instead of you, and you come first. As a result, is a contrast to that. Are you supposed to love the other like yourself? Are you supposed to love yourself more? Of course you're supposed to love yourself more. That's the halakha. As a result, says Tosafot, what do we do with after death? Not in life at all? Well, you know, sometimes in life as well. It's an amazing thing. No, it runs contrary to everything we teach our children, everything we're taught in school. We still want to love everyone. Harambam, Harambam mentions this pasuk, 
in two contexts. The one that's uh, perhaps more famous is in Hilchot Avil. Hilchot Avil is where he's talking about mourning. He says when you, when, you, when you deal with the burial of a person who passes away, when you come to visit Nechum uh, Avelim, when you help those who are mourning, it's all a fulfillment of it. It's very clear. We apply this to life as well. When you when you come to visit a person who's sick, so before you go home and state to your children, wife, or anyone else, that is all wrong. It really is only after death. Harambam is quite clear it's not so. So at the very best for Harambam, you'd have to say it's both during life and after life. But Tosafot makes a bold claim. They have another way of, of, of determining and suggesting that primarily, as it's mentioned in the Torah in a fascinating way, specifically for the death penalty. Yes? Call my desani or something like that, which means to say he doesn't cite the pasuk of importantly, but he does say anything that you hate, you shouldn't do to your friend. Does that have halachic ramifications, or is it alternatively a musar? Be good to other people. Do mitzvah You have to argue according to Tosafot, according to this. This, this vantage point, if you're taking the Gemara overly literally, that that was hicking, you know, he's not actually quoting. Yeah, but a hundred percent, that's an important derashah there of Hillel as well. Says the Gemara onward, Ehad min ha'idim dohafo. If you recall, one of the witnesses would push him off of this bit sekila. Tanura banan de beraita says, Minayn she bidehiyah. How do you know that you're supposed to begin the regima, the stoning, the uh, execution of sekila, with dehya, with pushing? Tamud omar yaro. Now this pasuk, you might look at the side, is from Parashat Yitro. The pasuk says that nobody, HaKadosh Baruch Hu warns, nobody, lotigah boyad, nobody should touch Har Sinai. If you touch Har Sinai, if you walk on Har Sinai, kisakol yisakel o yaro yeyare. The pasuk says you'll... It sounds like either be stoned or yaro yare. The easiest interpretation, most of my life I believed yaro yare meant will shoot you. Lirot het or lirot rova, ekdah terei, it refers to shooting. Uh, the understanding of the Gemara is yaro means to throw or to push off. Rashi, in fact, quotes the Pasuk from Shiratayam. Uh, no, wrong one. Yarabayam, Yarabayam, which means that they fell into, they were pushed into the yam. As a result, we make a derasha from Ma'amad Harsinai, and we'll explain at the end how we are able to do it from Ma'amad Harsinai to all circumstances, that it starts with Yaro Yare, first push, first throw, only then throw stones. So maybe it's only throwing. Who said Sikila actually has putting stones, throwing stones onto Tamod Lamar, Sakol. So we have a derasha in which Pasuk says, Sakol Yisakel, Yaro Yiyare, Ba'amad Har Sinai. We place the two together, we apply it for eternity, and we state, anytime there's a Sekila situation, you do both a Dehya, Yaro, and a Sekila, Sakol. Uminayin Shebiskila, Ubidhya, how do you do both? The Pasuk says, Sakol Yisakel, O, O means, or, Yaro Yiyare. Tamod Lamar, Sakol Yisakel, O yaro yare, it appears to be the extra wording. It doesn't just say sakol v'yare, sakol yisakel, yaro yare. It's a ribu yuminayin she met b'tehya yasa. How do you know if you just threw him off? You didn't even have a chance to do the sakol yisakel, you yotzeh tamud amar, 
Pay attention to the word oh. So we have extra words. We have words that seem to, to, to narrow it, words that seem to broaden it. This is how we're dominating. Which witness gets to do pick How do we choose which one does which? That's a good question. I don't know. Oh, certainly we're switching off. Because the first one might kill him? I thought you were asking how we choose which one does which. I, I don't know. I don't know. Minayin shaf, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, maybe the faint heart. I don't know. Minayin shaf le dorotken. How do you know this applies for eternity? Tamud Omar, sakol yisakel, explains Rashi. It doesn't say sakol sakol. It says sakol yisakel. Yisakel is in, is in future. And as a result, the derasha is yaro yiyaren. Sakol yisakel is for future. There is a difficulty in the pasuk. The pasuk first mentions sakol yisakel. And only then yaro yiyaren. Translated as for eternity you'll stone him. For eternity you'll push him off. I thought we push off and then we stone. That's difficulty. Tosafot addresses this. The second to last one on daf memhe amud alef. Tosafot says sikila ne'emar tehila bapasuk. Tosafot is a little bit bothered, even though the Pasuk first mentions Sekila, and only then the Yaro Yare, the Dehya, we do the Dehya first. Of course, it stands to reason we do it in that order, but Tosafot needs a Derasha, Mishum de Ashkehan. Ashkehan means we find Kira'e, we find other Pesukim. The Samuch Sekila Lemita, that Sekila, the stoning, is pl- placed adjacent and it comes right before death. Dichtiv Uskaltem Ba'avanim Vametu, Uskaltem Ba'avanim Vametu. The Pasuk first talks about Sekila over there in Sefer Devarim, and then Vametu says Tosafot, that's telling you the order. This Pasuk is a little bit out of order, but it's teaching you the fundamentals. It's continued the Mishnah, if you recall. Vimlav, Ed Sheni. Ed hasheni right? If by falling off, if by being thrown off, you didn't die, the second witness grabs the stone, as I told you. Ha-even. So the, 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 says the Gemara, notel? Wait a second. Do you mean one person picked up that stone? You said the first witness pushed him off. Second witness picks up the stone. One witness? Vehatanya doesn't the Beraita teach us in Bishimon ben Omer, even Hayetasham. There was a stone there. Where's there? In Betin, in Betzikila, excuse me. Masui Shene Bene Adam. It was the weight, it needed to be lifted by two people. It was too heavy to be lifted by one. So, how come the Mishnah says that one Ed? The Mishnah says, Notel. That was our question. Notel, it should be Notlim. Notlim is in plural. Notel is in singular. If the, if the halacha is that the stone was so heavy, I mean, unless the witness has been working out a lot, but generally speaking, most of the witnesses were pure like me and as a result we can't imagine that he was able to do it on says the says says again this is what would happen he'd pick it up and he'd throw it onto the onto the heart of the person and if he died uh, by throwing it on Yatsan. You don't need the, the nation then to throw the stones. So as the Kemana, that's your difficulty. Again, repeat your di- difficulty. Your difficulty is that it says not law in Amishnah in the singular, but the Beraita says that two people needed to be stone, stoning him. So as the Kemana, did you read that whole statement of Bishimon ben Elazar carefully? Because I did. And in that statement it said two people would need to pick it up. And then the next words were, remember, notla vinotna. 
alibo. That's in singular again. I don't understand. You're telling me your difficulty is who's picking it up. Okay, so two people needed to pick it up. But then ultimately speaking, how many people were throwing it? It sounds like one ulitamik. According to your logic, tikshelach hi gufa, you should ask internally on that beraita, tikshelach hi gufa. Gufa means body, the body of that beraita itself. Masuishin ebene adam. On the one hand, you told me it had to be lifted by two. And then it said, not lavenot nalibo. And then it said, one person lifts it up and throws it onto the heart. Ela, rather, it has to be that the following was the reality. De madle la bahade chavre. Madle means to lift up. You would pick it up. Behade, hade, hadade means together with. Hade, havre, with your friend. The two witnesses would lift it together. It was so heavy. However, vishade la ihu. But then the singular witness, the witness who had not pushed him off, would throw it himself. So again, you together lift it up, walk to the end of the platform is my vision of it, and then your friend would lift it, hand it off to you, and you would throw it off. Why would you throw it off on, as one? Throw it off as two. Ki deteti merazya. Merazya, Rashi says, bekoach, bechozek. So the explanation goes like this. Two people needed to lift it in order to have a strong weight, in order so that it should fall onto him and have a weight. However, you now want to aim it properly. You want to have the proper power and strength as you're sending it forth. If two people are together throwing something forth, you don't have as much accuracy. If it's one person, even though it's more heavy, you'll be able to, with all your might, heave it onto him and do it right. That's what Rashi says, What's that? I don't want, I imagine, and then he runs back up. And then run back up. It's got to be. Keep in mind, he's bound up, according to our understanding of it as well. So, yeah, he turned, he turned in the air. What's the matter? This is gruesome? You think this is gruesome? You haven't... Wow, really? That's, you think that's less gruesome? I don't know. I, I thought this was pretty good. You know, gruesome is we have spectators like Saddam Hussein. We march them through the town square like Afghanistan. We want a little bit of that. We want a little bit of that. I, we want a little bit of responsibility on the person and on the people who are watching. We all are supposed to introspect in this moment, not only him. This is not some sort of sterile experiment in which we're putting him to death quietly. We want this to be a scene, but at the same time, we want it to be as seamless a scene as possible. That's the way I always understand it. It's the way the Torah is describing it to us. Why is everyone involved? The Torah is telling us everyone's involved because everybody's supposed to think to themselves, this was part of my responsibility, number one. And number two, it scares me for the future so that I'm not involved. There's a fine line. I hear you for our 21st century, unfortunate modern sensibilities. It's still very gruesome, but in the scheme of things, it's as little uh, gruesomeness as possible while making a strong point. That's how I always understood it. The Mishnah said if that individual witness tries to stone him and doesn't do it sufficiently, well, then everyone gets together. Vehatanya says the Beraita, says the Gemara, Vehatanya. It doesn't say Tanya, it says Vehatanya. We're asking a contradiction from Beraita. 
You hear the words, Jared? It never happened that a person needed two rocks thrown at him. It's the next words in the Beraita. Says the Gemara, that's a contradiction to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah said, he throws as one, and then if he doesn't kill, so then the rest of the nation. Well, the Beraita says that never happened. Says the Gemara, Mika Amina De'avid. Did our Mishnah say that this actually happened? That's not a contradiction. Our Mishnah said, Ka'amina. If you need another person, if you need other people because the first stone didn't kill him, so then everyone would. Our Mishnah is speaking hypothetically, it's speaking theoretically. It's true, it never would happen. The stone was that strong. They'd have enough accuracy from where they were after throwing him off. They either killed him at that stage or they killed him afterwards. But you then had the potential. And it's important to have the potential. And Jared, I'll supplement it with the following point now. The fact that the Gemara says it never happened, to the extent that it's bothered, why even mention it? It almost appears as if they're asking. And the answer is, if we needed it, it reminds me of what the Torah says, and so forth, which means to say the Torah, in its literal interpretation, says an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye is what we know from Hammurabi's code, which is a code of law preceding the giving of the Torah. And they actually took an eye for an eye and a hand for a hand and so on and so forth. And yet, we know the Gemara, the Mishnah, and the Gemara, Masech Bava Kaman, the eighth Perek, and Perek HaChovel says, we don't do such a thing. Mamon, not to be interpreted literally. It's what Harambam calls a Perush Mekubal Moshe Rabbeinu. God told Moshe how to interpret it. Never take an eye for an eye. It's not meant literally. And yet Harambam and his Morei Nebuchim has a very difficult and, and mysterious line in which he says, well, it kind of is literal, but the rabbis told us not to take it literally. What are you talking about? The Gemara says we don't take it literally. The interpretation is something along the lines of how Ibn Ezra writes in his commentary to the Torah, and in turn will reflect upon it in this context. Ibn Ezra says, here's how it works. It's quoted from one of the Geonim. He says, it works like this. Technically speaking, <coughs> if you, for whatever reason, took the eye of another person, you want to know what you're deserving of? We got to take your eye. But we can't really do that. I don't know how to do that. I could get the greatest doctor in the world once upon a time and today. We're not actually going to be able to extract your eye and not have all sorts of other germs and, and other side issues that take place. I can't exactly do to you as you did to another person. I could try, but I'm not going to do it sufficiently. As a result, Mamon, we don't do that. But I'm going to, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, write it in the Torah the way it's supposed to be. When you read what you did and your punishment, you're supposed to say, this is what was supposed to happen to me. They can't actually do this and they never will actually do this to me. This is what I'm supposed to think about. I think it's the same point over here. All of Am Yisrael are supposed to watch us and know about this and they're supposed to understand the responsibilities on us as well. We're never actually going to get to that. And that's what the Gemara is bothered. The Gemara says, wait a second, you didn't actually get to it, says the Gemara. But the Mishnah is talking about if they needed to get Why? My next question. So then why mention, if it's not actually going to happen, why even mention? Theoretical, the Mishnah is supposed to be halakha, the Mishnah is like, not like Gemara, it doesn't speak theoretically. The answer is because that's a yad tahad yad, that's an ayin tahad you're supposed to envision and understand the circumstance as one, which is not only what I actually do, but what I'm supposed to understand. Says the Gemara, amar mor, that means we return to an earlier statement, even ha return to the Beraita, we saw a moment ago, in the Beraita it said there was a stone which was there in the Beta Sekila. Says the Gemara, really? Was there a stone just resting there. Vehatanya doesn't the Beraita teach us a hat even shiniskal ba vehat et shinitla vehat saif shinehirad bo vehat sudar shinehnat bo. If you recall, I mentioned this a few dapim ago in the Gemara. Any of the utensils 
which were used in order to put to death this person, whether it's the knife which beheaded him in Herig, or it's the stone which killed him in Sikila, or it's the sudar, or the, uh, the garment which strangled him in Henek, and so forth. Kulan, or it's the tree which he was hanged upon. Kulan nikbarinimo. They were all buried together with him. Well, if they were buried together... We're going to deal with that a few lines in the Gemara if we get there. Uh, but, but for a moment, before we get to that, and for the moment, well, if it was buried, so say Jared says maybe not directly with him, and the Gemara will say not directly, but it was buried, it means there's no stone left in Betin. You told me there was always a stone there in Betin. You picked it up and you threw it at him. But the stone was always buried with the guy. Says the Gemara, Really, that's your difficulty? Exactly. You fixed up the situation. You killed him, you buried it. You brought another one. Aharini means another one. In place of it. So yes, there always was a stone resting there. And once it was used, it was buried together with him. And you no longer had it, and you then replaced it. So when you walked into the Beit HaSikila in order to execute another person, the replacement was already there. Lastly, says the Gemara, Nikbarin imo. They were buried directly together with him. Vehatanya doesn't the Beraita say in Nikbarinimo. We don't we don't bury anything with the person who's executed. We don't put it in together with him. So what are you talking about? It's a contradiction, blatant contradiction. One Beraita said that you bury all the utensils of killing of, of, of execution together with the person who was executed with the Nidon. And the other Beraita says you don't do so. Amar of Papa, my imo. What does it mean when we said imo? Imo bitfisato, together with him within his grasp. What's within his grasp? Explains Rashi, Arba Amot. Arba Amot means six feet. The halakha is in many, many circumstances. In halakha, we look at the domain of a person, the personal space of a person as four Amot, six feet, which of course was quite beautiful for over two years when we talked about social distancing. It's exactly that. That's what they all said, six feet. Six feet is personal space, says the Gemara, to the extent that furthermore in halakha, for example, on Shabbat, Four amot is the amount of carrying or of trespassing in Rishut Rabim. Why four amot? Personal space. Four amot is my space. Beyond that is someone else's space. When it comes to kinyan hatser, if I want to make a kinyan on something and you throw it to me and I don't catch it, but it falls right next to me, and then someone jumps on it and grabs it, it's mine. Kinyan hatser, arba amot. As a result, the understanding of arba amot means it's within his six feet orbit, within his personal space. That's where you buried these things. You didn't actually bury it together with him. That's not appropriate. But next to him, you did. And as a result, says the Gemara, that's how we resolve that contradiction of whether the utensils were buried together with him or not. Well, very briefly, just one line introduce what we're going to deal with in the next few lines, next several lines of the Gemara. Amar Shemuel. Shemuel says, now that we understood the role of the witnesses in all of this, what if after testifying, the hand of one of the witnesses uh, is cut off. I don't know, got amputated. Whatever the circumstances, they no longer have a hand. Patur, the person will not be put to death by stoning. My ta'ama, why not? Of course, we'll lock him up, but we won't. Debainan, because we need yad ha'idim tiyebo barishona veleka, because we need the hand of the witnesses to be on him. Rishona, that's what the Pasuk told us in Sefer Devarim. Yad ha'idim tiyebo barishona. The hand of the witnesses, being very literal, says Shemuel, if you don't have the hand of the witnesses, you can't put him to death. Ask the Gemara, and we'll end with this question. Elame'ata, wait a second. Elame'ata means, wait a second, what about this? Do you mean to tell me if they were maimed to begin with? 
Do you mean to tell me that witnesses who don't have hands or don't have a hand can't testify? In other words, your case, Shemuel, was only when it was cut off. What about if they were maimed, they were missing that hand beforehand? Shanei Hatam says the Gemara, it's different there. The Amar Kera, Yad Ha'idim, Shahayeta Kevar. The Pasuk says, Yad Ha'idim, the hand of the witnesses. It appears as if the witnesses already had a hand. Yad Ha'idim, If they never had a hand, so they never had a hand. Of course you can execute him based on these witnesses. If they had a hand, that hand now needs to put him to death. Understand Shemuel very literally. If the hand is no longer, you can't put him to death. We'll deal with the challenges and understandings that follow this tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.